Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com. Today I'm gonna to be taking your questions on buying cheap tools, restoring a car, fixing paint chips, and more. This is episode 213 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. All right, remember, in order to get a question on a show like this, email me, charles, at HumbleMechanic.com. Put question for Charles in the subject. Ask your question right at the top, give me some space, then give me the details of the question. That helps me out so, 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 so much. And of course, if you don't see your question on a show like this, be sure to check the quick videos playlist on YouTube where I do one question per video. All right, couple of other things before we get into the show. SEMA is this week, if you're watching the video the day it comes out anyway. Couple of things. Tuesday, I'll be presenting at Apex in the CRP booth. Tuesday's going to be about common two-liter turbo failures. Wednesday, I'll be presenting at the CRP booth again, Wednesday morning. Both of these times are 10 a.m. on the Apex side. I'll be presenting about OEM scan tools versus aftermarket scan tools and why I really do believe that shops need to at least consider heavily investing in OEM or OEM replication scan tools. So if you're around and you wanna come hang out, meet me, ask me some questions, there'll be some time for Q&A after the two presentations. In addition to that, on Wednesday, I will be at the WD-40 booth at about one o'clock hanging out. They'll be giving away a ton of free stuff, ton of product, ton of swag, so you could score yourself some cool WD-40 gear. And they got a really cool Bronco that they did up for the event, so you can come check that out as well. This is a case where if you don't normally follow social media stuff, it's probably a pretty good idea because I'll be posting where I'm at, what I'm doing, and that will help you out to know where I'm at, what I'm doing, if you're at SEMA or at Apex next week. And hey, real quick, if you want to support the show, check out the crew membership, bunch of discounts. I mention it every week and at the end of every show. There's a link down in the description if you want to learn more about that. I won't waste any more time. Let's get into the questions. First one up comes from Caitlin. It's about buying a bearing and race driver set. Hello, my name is Caitlin. I follow your YouTube channel and I love it. Appreciate that. I'm currently in the automotive tech program at Pima in Tucson, Arizona. I'm buying tools as I go and as I need them for repairs. I do my own repairs and stay off, stay off the tool truck. Good, good job and out of debt. Trying to make smart purchases because I don't like buying something twice if I get to spend a little more now and then not have to worry about them breaking. I'm about to do a wheel bearing replacement on the front and rear of my car and need to purchase a bearing driver set. I was wondering if it's worth paying 57 bucks for the Blue Point set or getting the 30 to $40 set on Amazon or even Harbor Freight. Is this something I can go cheaper on or is it one of those things pay the difference because I will use it often in the future. Uh, Caitlin, first of all, thank you so much for sending the question. Um, what would I do in this case? Truthfully, if for no other reason, most likely than convenience, like if I needed it and the tool truck guy had it or tool truck lady had it, I would probably buy this on the truck. You're talking $17, $20 difference in price. That's not that big of a deal. There's a huge convenience factor. Really, there is a huge convenience factor for buying it on the truck, especially when you need it right then. And the other positive is if you have a problem with it, the tool truck guy is gonna be much more likely to help you out a year and a half from now than trying to send it back to Amazon or dealing with Harbor Freight. Okay, so that's what I would do. Let's look at this a different way though. If we were talking about a tool and whether we should buy it at place A for $50 or place B for $30, what is the difference? And you're gonna find with things like this especially, it's probably the exact same thing. Maybe from Blue Point, company A, right? Maybe you get a case, a blow molded case that everything fits real nice in. 
And maybe Company B, Harbor Freight, maybe you don't, I don't know. You'll have to look at this and evaluate the two tools that you're looking at. Is paying $20 extra worth having a nice case that everything fits in? Well, in a lot of ways it is, but if that case doesn't fit in your toolbox, then of course it's not. So you really have to weigh everything about this. Is it going to be worth it because it has a case in it, because it's got a lifetime warranty, because if you have a problem with it, you're going to be able to warranty it on the truck even if you gotta wait a week, not the end of the world. Or is this something that you can buy from Harbor Freight? And it is a tool that might become disposable or serviceable in, in, in the sense that when it breaks, you don't really take the time to do anything with it. You either do something else or you get another one. Really would depend on the tool. I can tell you that I bought a bearing race driver set very early in my career and I've only used it a handful of times. The work that I did didn't require it all that often. But what you're doing very well may. In fact, I'm, I'm going through like my purchasing decision on buying this bearing race driver set. It did come with a blow molded case. The reason I bought it was to do rear brakes on Mark III's because when you replace the rotors or drums, you have to drive out in, in new races. And now as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about doing the brake job on my GTI and I'm gonna need that same tool, most likely, anyway. For this one, for this exact scenario, almost out of pure laziness, I would buy the Snap-on or Bluepoint one. I think for 20 bucks, so what? Um, and you're gonna use it a lot, you said, so it'll be worth it if you ever have one break. In general, though, this is a tool-to-tool -tool decision that I make. If this were a set of pry bars, probably would buy it on the Snap-on truck. If this was an oil filter wrench that I didn't use all that much and the tool truck guy didn't have it anyway, I would buy it Harbor Freight, Amazon, and save the 20 bucks and get it faster. A lot of times what I talk about with tools is getting it faster. But if the truck dude has it and it's only $17 more, buy it from the truck dude. All right, next up's got a lot of questions. I'm, I'm gonna pick and choose two of the like five questions that, uh, that he sent me. So this one starts off with, my Mark V is making some knocking noise at the rear going over bumps. I have installed the subframe collar and using new bolts torqued properly, but no success. Does this sound like something the Steelman wireless chassis ears would help me to find, or would I only hear wind noises? So on the chassis ears with noises going over bumps, this is the place where I really feel like chassis ears are the absolute best. Noises going over bumps, you're rarely gonna be able to duplicate on the lift. In the best case scenario, you can duplicate with someone jouncing the car up and down, and hopefully it makes the noise. But with these chassis ears, whether they're the Steelman ones, which I'll link up to, the wireless ones that I have, I'll link them to on Amazon, wired ones, it doesn't matter. They're, they're good, right? They, they serve their purpose. This is the perfect case for them. You can go underneath the car, hook them all up to different places underneath the suspension, tape them all out of the way, make sure you're not gonna snatch one off while you're driving, and then you have someone else drive. You sit in the car, you put your headphones on, and you click through the channels and see where you can find your noise the loudest or the most prominent. I will say with kits like this, Typically the headphones are terrible. Uh, I usually use my audio editing headphones, which are quite a bit better than, uh, than the ones that come with it. The thing you need to be careful though, is you wanna be careful not to use like the Beats headphones because they modulate bass so weirdly that it can affect what you're actually hearing. You're not hearing the true sound coming from the device. You're hearing it modified 
um, to, to listen to music, which is not what you're doing, which is why I use my audio editing headphones. I'll try and find those and link those up to you if you want. You're probably going to pay more for those than you will for the chassis ears. Um, but if you have another need for them, they're, they're wonderful headphones. You know, when it comes to diagnosing noises like that, isolation in, is the key. Is it rear of the front suspension? rear suspension altogether, what's in the trunk, what's in the back seat, noise resonates throughout the car. First thing you need to do if it's coming from the back of the vehicle, the back suspension, you need to get everything out of the trunk and drive it again and make sure it's not that. If it's coming from the rear part of the front suspension, you've torqued them, give them another quarter turn and see if that helps. Also look at your control arm bushings. Those are ultra common on the Mark Fives for those failing and they'll pop once or twice sometimes. Um, but go back through, double check your torque, give it a little quarter turn. You'll find that you can still turn it pretty easily. I always feel like I remember the torque values being too low in the repair manual when that car first came out and we were not torquing them. We were running them in and just go until it was tight. Right, and that seemed to cure a lot of the suspension popping because it was shifting. There's also a company that makes a sleeve kit that I'll try and find for you, uh, or you can just search Mark V suspension sleeve kit or subframe sleeve kit. That's supposed to work really well because it fills that whole gap in the subframe. I've never installed them, but from what I've read and the, the obvious research that it takes to do some of these shows, uh, the research I've done, it, it should work pretty darn well. I'm gonna answer one more of his questions really quick. I'm going through the fifth air conditioner blower fan under the glove box for my Mark V. They usually last just over a year and die for no particular reason. Fan control module is fine. I'm not sure where to start checking. So you're going through five, that's, that's so many of them. I've never replaced a second one on a car. Um, all right, so we're, we're burning these motors out we need to make sure first and foremost that your pollen filter is good. If your pollen filter gets clogged up, it can overwork that motor and cause problems. We need to make sure nothing's clogged up in our heater box. We need to see why this is failing. Is the motor straight dying? Is it getting loud? Are we buying a cheap motor? Is there water leaking into it? These are all the things that I would be thinking of if a customer says, hey, I'm on my X number replacement, that's more than one new one because I, I, I do not believe that I've ever replaced a second one on a car uh, for, for a failure. I would also look at, depending on how this one's set up, there's a couple of different Mark V setups. Is this a series resistor that powers, that power goes through the fan? If it's a series resistor, I'd put a new series resistor in it. That may be tweaking out, causing problems with the motor. We wanna check our powers and ground and make sure it's not a wiring issue that when we disconnect it, we're wiggling wires and it just so happens that when we plug it back in, the computers and the wiring gets happy again and you're not really fixing anything, you're just giving it like an aspirin for a headache. So those are a handful of things I would look at. I would really be analyzing beyond just the motor, okay? If this is your motor, you need to expand where you're looking and figure out what's going on in the vehicle that can cause this. Water leaks are gonna be a big one. Clogged heater boxes are gonna be another big one. Wiring problems would probably be my third. Series resistor is probably number four. Uh, I would look at that. You're, you're replacing these motors. It's, it's not something you should be doing, especially if you're buying OEM or high quality parts. Now, if you're buying the $60 one from Auto Parts RS or you're getting them from a junkyard, well, that's some of the things that come along with buying less expensive parts. You know, VW parts are really expensive. Some there's no need for. Others, there is a clear quality difference between OE and aftermarket parts. So I'd look at that as well. 
Next up is from Eduardo from Italy, which is so cool to me. I love that. Uh, recently started restoring an 84 Audi UR Quattro. What should I keep in mind when restoring an old car like this and maintaining it? What about the mechanical fuel injection? Where can I order VW parts? And if you are about to mod an old car, for example, remapping it, how would you approach it? Thanks for the attention, Eduardo. So first of all, awesome that you're from Italy. That is so cool. I love that. Uh, second, awesome, you're restoring a, what, 30, almost 34-year-old car, which is also awesome in the fact that it's an Audi Quattro. Super cool. So what would I do, WWCD, uh, in, in this space? What would Charles do in this space? The first thing I would do is I would do nothing to the car. Okay, do not do anything to it, especially if it runs. So now that we've done nothing to the car, we need to go through the car and figure out what we need to do, right? We need to start with maintenance, at least to me, in my opinion. You know, you, you need to know what you want to do with the car. Do you want to restore this car? Do you want to modify this car? Do you want to do like, kind of like I'm doing with the GTI, where it's, it's a resto mod or Saab Kyle's doing with his 240 resto mod kind of deal. You need to figure out what you want to do. For me, that doesn't always come right away in a project. To me, that comes down the road with my true goal. So what I like to start doing is the resto part of the resto mod. Maintenance, cleaning, evaluation. Those are the things that I like to focus on first. So before I start modifying the mechanical fuel injection, I'm taking the throttle plate, I'm taking the throttle body off, I'm cleaning the injectors, I'm putting new spark plugs in it, I'm making sure the wires are good. I'm cleaning the engine bay because I know, like, I'm almost willing to bet money that this car has an oil leak. I'm fixing the oil leak. I'm doing all of these things to get the car back into a position where I can truly evaluate things like the longevity of the engine, the life left of the engine, how the fuel system is, how the rest of the car is, how much rust is there. I really, really think you should start with getting the car running properly, getting the maintenance up to date, cleaning it, cleaning it, cleaning it, cleaning it, and then figure out what you wanna do with it. Because if you clean it and do your maintenance on it and get it running well, that's step one to modifying it anyway, unless you're pulling the engine out. And even if you are pulling the engine out, you've gotten comfortable with the car, you know the car a lot better now, so I, I like that strategy a lot better than straight into modification. Again, now if you're pulling the engine and you know what you already want, doesn't matter. But it doesn't sound like that because I don't think you would have asked me this question if you knew I'm going to slam a V8 in this thing. Um, start there. Document everything. I have one, I ran one whiteboard over with the car. I had three whiteboards out here that I would, I would make notes on. Write my list of things that I wanted to do, what I needed to buy, how I wanted to approach this problem. Um, and Sorry, there was four whiteboards. Uh, and start there or a notepad or, you know, sticky notes or whatever, whatever works for you document, make lists, make charts, make spreadsheets, whatever works for you, and really try to hone in on what you want from the car, and all that stuff will help map you to get where you wanna be. All right, last one of the day comes from Drew. Charles, excellent work with everyone in the Pull Apart Challenge, awesome. I just posted a video with some behind the scenes, if you wanna check that out. Anyway, our TIG1 is developing multiple paint chips on the hood. Granted, it's not an OEM hood or paint due to a pine tree falling on it, that's a bummer. It's one of my fears in my driveway too. What is the best course as far as repairing the paint chips? A complete repaint or dealer paint sticks? In the meantime, I just keep a heavy coat of wax on it. Thanks for all your help, Drew. Drew, great question. I am sure, guys, that there is a ton of good YouTube videos on how to fix chips. Chips are not scratches. Chips are not touch up. 
chips are down to bare metal, at least in, that's how I view them. So there's probably a ton of really good YouTube videos on what to do. This is always my thoughts on it, okay? You need to get down to bare metal. If there's a little bit of paint, you can dot it and touch it up and then clear coat over it. But if it's down to bare metal, you need to get down to clean bare metal. Any oxidation needs to be removed. And then honestly, I don't love the paint pens. Now the VW ones are pretty good. I really like liquid paint with like a model paintbrush, a very thin paintbrush where you can pick paint up and dip it in and actually fill that chip. If you just put a layer of paint on it, you will have an indentation. So I like to actually fill the chip. This is really easy on the hood. You can open the hood and set the level so that the surface you're working on isn't up and down, like if it were a door, uh, which is awesome. Even if you have to take like a two by four or something like that and lower the hood down on it, you still can get that mostly level. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's better than working with it like this. So I like to get it in that position. I like to sand it down, get any oxidation out of there. You might have to open up this chip just a little bit more, which isn't that big of a deal. Uh, and then I like to take liquid paint with a paintbrush and just dab it in there and fill that gap. Um, that It does a better job. It looks nicer. Once it's complete, you can wet sand it and smooth it out, get any weirdness of the paint out of there, any dirt or junk in the paint. You can wet sand it and then you can clear coat it. Depending on how bad it is, you know, that, that'll determine whether you paint the whole hood or just do a chip. Five chips, eh, I'd touch it up. Heck, if you're not that concerned about how it looks, just touch it up with the pen, throw some clear over it and you're good to go. If there's like 85 of them, now we're probably at a point where it, it really just makes more sense to have the hood painted uh, rather than think, 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 you know, fixing a hundred little, little paint chips. But this is all going to depend on the severity of the chips, your skill level with a paintbrush and how many there are, you know, and, and do you even need to fix this? I, I don't know. Is, is this a problem where you're going to fix it? And then six months from now, you're going to have a hundred more paint chips. Maybe it's time to look at some kind of like hood cover or a hood, hood bra or something like that. So you don't have to worry about it again, but I would do a YouTube search and I would search on how to touch up paint. Uh, the way I explained it is exactly how I do it. There's a little bit more finesse to it than that, especially when you're doing something on a door. You have to be careful with the amount of paint you're putting on the car at one time. Now, if you're doing the whole, the whole like, let's say front quarter or front eighth of the hood, you can buy VW rattle can paint. It's factory paint. It comes in rattle cans. It comes with a can of clear. It's like 20 bucks. It is far and away the best quality paint you are going to get in a rattle can that comes in the rattle can that you don't put in the rattle can and then charge yourself. I painted the side markers of the Passat, the ones in the bumper, uh, United Gray, years ago, like six years ago, and they still look perfect. In fact, if I didn't have the lights on, you don't really even see them. They look so nice and it matches wonderfully. So if you wanna do a bigger surface, that's the route I would go. If small touch-ups, I like liquid and a brush. I'm sure plenty of other people use the pens and get decent results. The key is going to be preparate. This is the key for all paint, right? This is key for a lot of things. Preparation, application, and then what are you doing to finish it out? Sand, wet sand, polish, clear coat, all that stuff probably needs to be done as well. So good question. If you guys have any other paint chip tips, 
feel free to post it in the comments. All right, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up there. Questions, comments, leave them down here on YouTube or over on the blog at humblemechanic.com. You can subscribe right here on YouTube, ding the notification bell for updates, or again, over on the blog at humblemechanic.com. Remember, if you want exclusive content, discounts you can't get anywhere else to places like MT Knives, Sonic Tools, SP Automotive, Petrol Box, Mechanic, Scanner Danner's Engine Diagnostic Book, which is one of the best books in the world. Check out the crew membership program. Also got the Patreon and of course the Amazon link. That one's awesome because it costs you zero dollars to help out the show. There's also an audio version of this podcast if you would prefer to listen only to the show. You can hit that on iTunes or any of your favorite podcasting platforms. All right, guys, don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Snapchat. Thank you so much for watching. Happy Monday. It's SEMA week. If you're going to be at SEMA, make sure you come say hi. All right, I'm out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time.